Well, good morning, everyone, and a Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. A lot of handshaking going on, maybe a few hugs as you walked in. It's a very joyful mood. Uh, the kids did a great job with the bells. We thought about, after Matt making the announcement about the church budget did pass, we thought maybe we should put a couple of those kids with the bells by the blessings box, get a little ring-ding going on back there. But this church has been so faithful in giving, in serving, in praying for one another. I'm just very thankful to be a part of this church, and I hope you're thankful as well. Well, uh, we'll get to our Bibles in a second here, um, but I wanted to think through our series. We've been talking about the emotions of Christmas and all the things that come along with this holiday. At Christmas time, we, we have so many things going on. Right now, it might be family get-togethers, uh, maybe some friends getting together. You may have an office or a business party in which people are just coming in. And, and anyway, it's a moment where a lot of gatherings take place, right? But here's the thing about all those gatherings. Most often in those times, you invite people you want to hang out with. However, at some of these times, there are people that show up um, maybe at a company party, possibly even a family gathering. Somebody shows up, he's like, who invited them? Or why did they have to show up? You know what I'm talking about. It's that Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. It just shows up. You weren't expecting them. And it's like, oh, didn't see this coming, didn't see you coming. Well, again, we've been talking about emotions at this time of the year. And emotions are like uninvited guests. At sometimes they just pop up. And it's like stress and disappointment. Didn't want that to show up, right? Or maybe it's an uninvited emotion that actually you were glad that it showed up. Happiness. Joyfulness. It's when those, those emotions show up, you're like, I'm so glad for how I'm feeling right now. Like your heart is just feels so full. It's like a good invite, right? But the emotions, they're so unpredictable. Whether they're uninvited or invited, they just sort of show up. So I was thinking about this. I want to talk a little bit of like psychology, but I understand this. I'm not a professional. I didn't take psychology uh, courses, or at least a lot of them. I took a few, but that's not my profession. So bear with me as I just share some simple thoughts about how our mind and our will and our emotions work together. Um, because this is, well, mind, will, emotion. This is where Dr. Bill Gillum, I like how he put it. It's more like our thinker, our doer, and our feeler. That made a little bit more sense to me, right? But here's what's happening. How we feel about things and what our mind is thinking about things sometimes then plays out in what we do in our life. How we're feeling, how, what we're thinking, always plays out in our behavior. Now, I want to give you an example of how this all works, and then we'll make sense of this scripture-wise. Let's use the example of a grizzly bear. You're going camping, okay? And where you're camping, there happens to be grizzly bears. You come across a grizzly bear on your hiking trail. Now, you're a thinker. Your mind tells us that bears eat people, and you are a people, Okay, so you're not in a good position and you've read other facts about bears and all these kind of things. So here's what's happening. You've got the facts going on, but now your emotions are starting to kick in. You're dwelling on all these bad things. So fear quickly kicks out peace. You've got a lot of fear going on right now. So your emotions go from peace to fear. And you know, this might be good too, keeps a little bit alert. But now your doer kicks in. Your will kicks in. 
and there's a response. You want to run in the opposite direction. That makes sense, right? Hold on a second. Because your thinker remembers now an article on the National Park website that says, here's how to respond if you run into a bear. So you start thinking through. You encounter a bear. You don't run. You let them know you're human. You maybe sort of wave your arms. You talk calmly. You start, or you stay calm. You talk uh, softly. That, that's your thinker at work, right? Because, again, your mind's thinking this. But here's the thing. Knowing and doing aren't always on the same page. Thanks to your feelings and the fear that you have encountered, again, your feet just want to run. That's the, that's the battlefield of, of emotions and your, your mind and your will all coming together. And at Christmas, as I said before, at Christmas, it's like all this is intensified. Because you see, at Christmas, we walk around doing what? We're like, hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You were all walking here this morning. You probably said, good morning, good morning. Hey, Merry, Merry Christmas. It's, there's all usually a smile. It isn't a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You know, there's always Merry Christmas. And that seems funny because that's the only time we ever use that word, really. We don't say Merry Thanksgiving. Hey, Merry Fourth of July. Hey, Merry St. Patrick's Day. We don't, we, we don't use Mary, this, we're talking about a playground equipment that goes around and around. We usually don't use Mary in a phrase except at Christmas, right? So it makes sense because the word Mary means to, to brighten or to, to lift the spirits of a person. And when you're basically, you're walking around saying, I want to lift up your spirits. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's, that's what we're trying to do this time of the year, right? But yet we're still facing all those other emotions that are around us, and it gets pretty cloudy at times. We want to function as a, in a healthy manner during this season as Christians, but how do we do that? So what I hold in my hand is called truth. It's God's Word. So my mind focuses on what is true. My mind focuses on what I know, what I need to really be thinking about, what I need to be focusing on is what is true. Because my emotions, my emotions are generated by things that go on around me. Truth is my stabilizer. Truth is, is, is God's word. I, and I've used this example before, and I'll put it on the screen and maybe help you uh, with this one. It's like picturing a, a train. The, the, the engine must be the facts, the truth. Your emotions, your feelings need to be the caboose. And the stuff in between, uh, you know, like in this picture, it has faith. But here's what I'm saying. If your feelings are the engine, it's going to take you down a track and put you, you will probably wreck or go in the wrong direction when your feelings are in the front. Your feelings should be in the caboose. Truth is what's in driving the engine, so to say. When I was thinking again about all this thought here with our emotions and this series that we've had about Christmas, We've talked about disappointment. We've talked about stress. We've talked about sadness. And with each of those, I've given you truth behind them. And this morning, I want to start off again with this. At Christmas time, we start with truth. We go into the Old Testament, and there's all these prophets, and we, we look at what was going on, and they all pointed forward to a king that was coming, a Messiah that would save us, a Redeemer. And he's coming, and even in Isaiah, with songs we're singing, for unto us a child is born. 
And he'll be called, and we sang all those names of, of who he is that's coming. But then you get to the New Testament, and we open up to Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, John chapter 1 last week, and we, we see here that he came. Here's the story, here's the truth of Jesus Christ. These are the foundational truths. This is the engine of our life that leads us, that goes before us. And our emotions that we all struggle with, each and every one of us have, they pop up from everywhere, right? Like uninvited guests. We're able to talk them down and say, you know what, I know I'm struggling this with right now, but I need truth to be in front to lead me. With that being said, grab your Bibles and open up the truth to John 3, 16. Firmly rooted in these truths, I believe we are empowered to face the circumstances of life, especially at Christmas, and still be at peace, still find love, and still experience the joy in our life that we need. In John 3, 16, I know this isn't a Christmas passage for many of us. For, for a lot of you, you're saying that John 3, 16, don't remember seeing that on a Christmas card. John 3, 16, we don't sing about that in a Christmas carol. John 3, 16, it's not a verse that's posted anywhere, right? but it is one of the most beautiful truths displayed at Christmas, John 3, 16. I'll put it up on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible because I sort of broke it down how I want to talk about it, how I want to approach it. It almost looks like a Christmas tree the way it's sitting there. John 3, 16 says this, for God, and just pause. I, I, really, do, I really do want to sort of slow down my, my speaking this morning. Sometimes I try to zip through a sermon real quick and it's got a lot of things I want to say. So I do want to sort of pause and sort of slow down. I want to mingle in the Word today. I just want you to think about this. Who is God? For God, His attributes are endless, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. He is holy. He is just. He is love. There is no God like Him. The God that we read about in the Bible is just indescribable at times. Hard to define him. And yet there's so much about him. This is the God we're talking about. And what does it say? For God so loved. Not only is God defined as love, because you'll read later in the New Testament, it says, and God is love. I mean, it's like, that's him. He is love. And love, love is God. It's like, it's almost interchangeable. And it's like, God loves. He isn't just like an emotional feeling. He is action. He is selfless. He is sacrificial. That's what this love is. And love comp always compels towards action. For God so loved the world. That's us. This love is extended to everyone, to each, to all. No matter your background, no matter how much money you make, no matter what family you were born into, God's love is for the world, for each and every one of us. I'm going to refer to another Christmas. I'm not going to call it a classic, but it's a Christmas movie, Christmas with the Cranks. Um, many of you might have seen this movie, but Nora is one of the main characters, and she's in the grocery store. She is panicking because her daughter had changed plans. She's coming home for Christmas now. They were not going to do Christmas. They canceled their big Christmas party. Well, now she's coming home. Now she's got to put together a Christmas party in less than a couple hours. So she's going to the grocery store, and she runs into this gentleman. His name is Marty. Marty is to your far left in the picture. And Marty seems to know everything about Nora, 
her daughter, her husband, and everything. And she's like, I have no idea who you are. And it's sort of creepy, actually, that he would know all these things about her. And she's like, would you like to come to the party? Now, this wouldn't normally happen in life, right? But when you are desperate for people to show up, you'll ask anybody to come to your party. And that's what I was thinking about this moment in this movie. It's like some of us are just so desperate. Just come on, come on. Can I just say this about God? God is not desperate for you and I. I don't think he is. It's like God's like, boy, if I don't have them, I'm nothing. No, God is God. And he's like, I'm not desperate for you all to feel my presence, but I would love for you to feel my presence. We're the ones that are desperate for God. And the invitation from God goes out to all of us. He, he looks at every one of us in each and where, where we're at. And here's the beautiful thing. It's like God knows the mess in our lives and he still invites us. You know what? We, we truly need to maybe sit in our chairs at home or a couch and just ponder that for a little bit. Doesn't God know about my past? Doesn't God know about my present right now, what I'm doing? Doesn't he know that sometimes I, I cheat or I lie? Doesn't God know that sometimes I lust or, or I say things I shouldn't say, or I do things I shouldn't do, or I go places I shouldn't go. Doesn't God know I do all these things? Doesn't God know all these deep, dark things about me? The answer to that is yes. And he still loves you. And he still invites you. Uh, to me, that's just amazing. Beyond my messy life or any addictions I may or may not have or my failures, he says, I love you so much. For God so loved the world. Put your name in there. He loves you. That he does what? Next line is that he gave. That's what, see, that's what love is. Love is not just that emotion. It's, oh, I love you. God just like, hey, I love you. I love you. Love you. Love you. And then he just stops. He didn't put a big banner across the sky, form it with clouds saying, I love you. He, he showed love. See, love is action. If you really love somebody, you just don't tell them you love them, but you put it into action. God says, listen, I'm telling you and I'm putting it into action. He gave. And what is it that he gave? He gave his only son. His only son. The one and only son that he has, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 14, and in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, we read this. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only son. 1 John 4 says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, when you look at the truth of God's word, you start discovering who God is, what God did and what God is doing and it starts to sort of blow you away a little bit, right? If not, you're not listening. If this isn't hitting you at all, you're not really paying attention to what God is saying. Because none of us in here are worthy to be in the presence of God. Not one of us. If there was a king standing up here right now, not one of us would be able to come through those doors without special admission. To, to enter the presence of a king in ancient history was to find a quick trip to the guillotine or to the prison. 
That'd be an invitation. And God says, I'm inviting you to be with me. You've all been invited. You know, there's a band called Down Here, and they sang this song, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. I'm not even sure how long ago it was. I, I tried to find this song. It's like, I just, I've been hearing it the last couple of years, and uh, I heard it again this year, and I, it's been on repeat in my car when I have the opportunity to hit repeat. Because I love hearing this song. And so I looked at it, it's like, it's like, it's actually pretty old. But the chorus goes like this. I'll put it on the screen. How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. Only one did that for me. And I just, I love hearing that song. It's like, oh, well, how many kings did step down off their throne for Rex? How, how, many, how many lords have abandoned their homes for Rex? It's one. That's my God. He left his throne. He left heaven. He became the least for me and for you. It's a really actually powerful song. When I think about it, that only being one God, one Son, and He was given to us, church. He was given to us. It goes on to say, that whoever, there it is again, the invitation for all, whoever believes in Him, and there's the action. Here's where we get to choose to trust God or not. See, it's, it's our choice. It's His gift given to us, it's our choice to open it up, to receive what God has given us, to take that into our life and say, I believe in God. I trust Him. I trust what He has done. I know I have sinned. I know I've blown it. I've asked for forgiveness. God, forgive me of these sins. Come into my life. I'm trusting you. I'm following you. That's the gift He's given us, and we just have to receive it. And the question is, will you? And Scripture goes on to say, those who believe in him, what? Will not perish, but have eternal life. You know, my first thought is when I think of that, not just being in heaven and, and whatever heaven's going to look like, but it goes back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were first created, they walked in the garden before sin ever existed, before sin was in there. There's this perfect earth. And Adam and Eve walked with God. How cool is that? To be in a place where there's no tears, there's no pain. Right now, you got arthritis in here, guess what? You won't have it in the presence of God. You, you won't have it in heaven. Cancer, sickness, you got a sniffle going right now, a little runny nose, that's gone. All of it's gone. Any, any fear, any of those negative emotions, that's gone. It's going to be incredible. That's what I think about. It's like, will not perish, but of eternal life. I have an eternal hope. I will be in the presence of my God. And so will you if you've received this invitation, if you've trusted in him. And to see the key to finding this, this peace and this hope and this love and this joy, those are, those are incredibly welcomed emotions that we all want, right? But it's all wrapped up in what? In truth. This, my friends, is what leads us in our life. This is the engine. And all those other emotions that we want, those are the caboose. Those come right along when we, when we place our trust in the truth. When we look to the word 
for that direction. And here's the thing, too. When you're moving down the right direction, based on truth, there's, there's action that always follows. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Good. Now there should be some action following this. We sang this in the song right before uh, the sermon, and that was, oh, come all ye faithful. I know you can't read it. Small lyrics there. Just a reminder, here's the thing. This is the invitation to all believers, to all who are faithful. You're filled with this, this new emotion. This is joyful. You're filled with confidence. You're triumphant. Oh, come all you faithful. Come on. You believe in him? Come on, faithful. Joyful and triumphant. You're victorious. You're invited to come and worship. And there's the action. Oh, come, let us adore him. We're called to come and worship. The Bible is referred to us many times throughout Scripture as being sheep. If you know anything about sheep, they're not exactly the smartest. Here's the thing. They tend to stray from the herd at times. That's a good picture for us, isn't it? We tend to stray a lot of times. We're, we like sheep. We see these paths. Oh, that path leads to popularity. I'm going to take that path. Oh, that path leads to power. I could use some power. That path leads to a lot of pleasure. I'm going to take that path. We choose all these paths throughout our lives. And what happens is, as we go down these paths, we stray from God. Not the results we wanted. But God says, I'm inviting you to walk with me. I'm inviting you to follow me. Come and behold him. Choose him. Worship him. You know what I love about this? God invites us to the manger to worship, right? That's what we've been singing about. But here's the thing. Our faith doesn't stop at the manger. When we read in Matthew 2 and Luke 2 about the wise men and about the shepherds, we see them as like, the wise men came, they worshiped, they gave, they left. The shepherds came, they worshiped, they left, right? God invites us to stay. You may have a favorite vacation spot. If you're, um, some of you maybe go down south, you got a favorite spot, you go down to Florida. Maybe some of you go out west, you got a favorite spot, you go out west. Maybe some of you are lake people. You got a cottage at a lake, and it's like, oh, in the summer, I love going to the lake. You got your favorite spot you go to. Maybe, you, maybe it's in a park, a local park. It's like, I just, there's a place I like to go. It's my, it's my favorite tree I like to sit under. Maybe it's somewhere in your home, in your backyard somewhere. Or maybe it's not like a location like that. Maybe it's a favorite restaurant. It's like, if I'm going to eat, I'm going to this particular spot. Or I'm going to this coffee spot on this certain day of the week because that's where my friends are. And it's like, that's your go-to place. Everybody following me on this? That's the way faith should work. It's like you go and it's like you meet God. And then maybe you go off and you're living. It's like, come back. I want to spend more time with you, God. And that's what worship is, a continuous thing. A lot of us is like, well, that was my favorite vacation spot. How many times have you been there? Just once. You only been there once? Yeah, but it's my favorite spot. I think about going there a lot. But I'm, I just, you know, I'm not going to. That's like, again, and, I, and, I, and no offense to anybody here. It's like, I make it to church on Christmas and Easter, and I get that, okay. But here's the thing. We're not called to worship just one time, and that's it. We're called to come and adore him. Linger at the manger. Don't run away too quick. The shepherds, they had something to do. They had to go share the good news. And I think that's what it's all about. We come long enough to worship like the shepherds. 
And then we take off and go share the good news. But here's the thing, come back. Come back to the manger again. Continue to worship. Continue to discover who he is. Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. See, it isn't just come and worship me one time. Jesus is like, I want you to follow me. And as you follow me, we will grow in our relationship together. It's not just to visit or experience it one time it's to, or just check it out. The invitation is to follow because worship is a changer. It is a game changer, as some would say. And we sang the song, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. It's probably sung in different uh, tones. Some may be very solemn, very quiet. Some people are like, Oh, come, let us adore me. It's like, I don't know, there's, there's some excitement maybe. People sing it in different ways. I have no idea how it was originally intent to be sung. I, I don't know. How the writer was, hey, by the way, when you sing this, make sure you sing it at this speed. It, maybe that's there somewhere. I just have never seen it. But I want to put myself maybe there 2,000 years ago. How would the angels have sung this song? Come on. Come on, come let us adore him. Come on, everybody, let's go adore him, let's go worship him. Would that have been the way the angels would have said it? I don't know, but in Psalm 66, the psalm writer says this, starting in verse one, shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They'll sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. Come and see what God has done, what awesome miracles he performs for people. It's like he's sitting there saying, come on and behold. Come and be amazed. Come and be changed. Come and sing. And too often, I think as Christians, we're a little reluctant in coming to worship. Maybe out of duty, I don't know. But we're invited. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven. In that song, it's funny, or not funny, but it's unique that as they're, he's sitting there saying, hey, listen to the angels singing. They're shouting it out. Come on. Sing, all you citizens of heaven. Heaven's celebrating. Heaven's rejoicing. Heaven is exalting. What are we doing down here on earth? Should we not be celebrating as well? You see, again, truth, the truth of who God is, what he has done, how he loves us, compels us forward. It is the engine of our life. And our emotions follow. Our will follows. The shepherds left their sheep. The sheep is their income, their responsibility. They abandoned reason. They took an invitation to come and be old. In their mind, they could have been thinking, it doesn't feel right to leave the sheep by themselves. But the truth is, the Savior's been born. The Messiah is here. I know how we're feeling, but let's go follow what is true. The wise men abandoned their comfort, their resources to travel a long distance to worship Jesus. The question is for us, what will we abandon to worship Jesus? Our emotions, our joy, our will, our living is based on truth. Unchanging, absolute truth. Jesus is not just a reason for the season. He's the reason for every day of the year. 
On December 26th, those of you with artificial trees will fold them up and put them in a box. Those of you with a real tree will pull it off a stand and throw it to the curb or dispose of it in some other way. You all will grab your decorations. You'll box them up. You'll take your lights and so carefully spin them up instead of rolling them up so they're not tangled. And you'll put them away very carefully. You may take down all of those Christmas cards that have glitter on them that you've been cursing at for a while. And you'll take all of them and you'll maybe you'll put them in the trash or in a keepsake. You will take every other decoration down around the house, box it up, put it in there. And then you'll be calling your favorite fitness center and thinking, how can I get rid of all this Christmas sugar that I took upon me, right? That's what happens after Christmas, right? And all these thoughts about Jesus and the Advent candles get put back in the storage, and it's like, oh, that was fun. Can't wait till next year. Jesus is not the reason for the season. He's the reason for every day of the year. When Christmas becomes an afterthought, keep worshiping Jesus. Keep worshiping Jesus. Come and adore him. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Do me a favor and linger at the manger. Stay for a while. Continue to worship him. I, I, I think about this. Sometimes we, we rush the thing so much. I mean, I get it, especially if you've got kids. It's like, we're going to open up our presents tomorrow morning, and it's like, Forget breakfast or eat breakfast as fast as you can, right? Let's get to there as quick as possible. It's like we just, we just want to get to the presents, right? And we want to get to Christmas. Can I just say this? Just relax. Linger as long as you can at the manger. Slow it down. Just worship. Oh, come let us adore him. Adoring something means you got to stop and pause to actually look at it and see it, to adore it. You can't adore it if you don't see it. God's truth, so thankful for. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, you'll not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Oh, come, let us adore him. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you so much that you love us in the midst of our, our behaviors and our sins, our rejection of you and our rebelling. You still offer us this gift if we would just ask for forgiveness. We just simply pray to you and say, God, forgive me. I know I've done wrong, and I'm sorry. You are faithful and you are just. You forgive us of our sins, and you cleanse us from all this unrighteousness that we have, and you give us a new relationship with you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, help us to linger at the manger as long as possible, to adore you, to worship you. Change our hearts. We love you, Lord. In our name we pray. Amen.